This is a podcast by One Life Christian Church in Baldwin, New York. We pray that the following podcast would encourage you, build you up in the gospel, and lead you closer to Jesus. We remind you that these are simply tools to help you in your walk and ask that you still look for a local church to attend and serve in. Welcome to the living room. me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. This is a text that I kind of want to roll us uh, out into for the remainder of these next few weeks. And we're starting in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. You might know this. You might see it printed on cups and mugs and quilts and decorative plates on walls in grandma's kitchen, but it's called the Lord's Prayer. And verse 9 in Matthew 6 says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some of you grew up going to church. Some of you grew Peter. Peter and I were talking about the church where I kind of was launched into ministry, a church in Boston. You may never hear of it again, but he comes to me the other day. He's like, did you go to Morningstar Baptist Church on Blue Hill Avenue, Mattapan? I'm like, my heart was overwhelmed because I'm like, nobody ever knows my little church. And it's not little, it's huge. But you only know it if you're from Boston. And they would start services with, our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you know the rest because we just read it. We have to finish it. Matthew 6 contains what we know as the Lord's Prayer. We also see it in the accounts of Luke in the Gospels. Matthew writes Jesus' response to a request from the disciples when in Luke chapter 11, one of the disciples looks to Jesus and and he says, Lord, teach us to pray. And just like I made the note last week, I love that in these few words, I see a double meaning. The first is teach us to pray, which we immediately know to mean teach us how to pray. Like how is it that we can also fellowship and communicate with the Father But what I love is that it also is, for me, a request from a follower of Jesus, not only on how to pray, but also teach me to pray. Teach me the importance of prayer. Teach me that I can't just say I exist walking alongside God, but I am required to fellowship with him in communication. So teach us to pray, Jesus. And these disciples, they got to literally watch Jesus Perform miracle after miracle for all the years that they walked with him. Healings everywhere they went. People raised from the dead. Water turned into wine. Demon-possessed people being delivered from bondage. With Jesus, they never went without what they needed most at any time. But this disciple doesn't ask for anything more than Lord Teach us to pray. They could have asked, Lord, teach us how to heal people. Teach us how to, lift, how to lift the dead out of being dead and into life. He says, teach us to pray. And what that tells me is that he 
And all the other disciples realized that what they needed most was not the gift from the gift giver. It was the community, the communing that he had with the Father in fellowship through prayer. They knew that the source of Jesus while he was in the flesh to gain power from God Almighty was his ability to communicate with God. Do we understand this? Weeks back, maybe months ago, we were talking about the young girl that had suffered from the epileptic seizures. Does anybody remember this? And we said, we talked about how this father comes to Jesus and says, the disciples have already tried to heal my daughter. And Jesus' response was, at the very end of his response, he says, this can only be taken out with prayer. What he was saying to them was, you're so busy doing the work of God that you have forgotten to communicate with God. And any one of us can be guilty of this, that we're so busy engaging in the good stuff, the coming to church, even serving, even preaching, but how dare we think that we could come and preach God's word without first communicating with God. So for the next few weeks, I want us to spend some time in, hey, how do we pray? If there is a formula, how do we get together the formula to figure out how to efficiently and appropriate appropriately communicate with God. And this week we're starting very simply. Reverence and exaltation. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9, it starts like this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And hallowed is a call to reverence. We revere your name, O Lord. But Jesus calls out to his Father. He doesn't say God. He doesn't say your holiness. He says, Abba, Father. Jesus begins his prayer with acknowledging who he is speaking to. Remember last week's sermon. I said, I called you to realize who are you speaking to when you pray. When you dare to engage in prayer and then dare to believe that God can respond, do you know who you were talking to? I find that that is the issue with a lot of our prayer lives. Because we know that prayer is the answer, right? Who, how many of us have heard that? The answer is prayer. The answer is prayer. But the, the truth is, what we said last week, prayer changes nothing if we don't believe in the God who answers prayers. It's just words coming out of our mouths. So here, the challenge is not prayer. The challenge is, do you know God? Anybody use Vicks VapoRub? Okay, okay, so we're, we're a super diverse church. If you're watching us online, think about heaven, and this is what we see here. And if you're Hispanic, you say, Viva Peru. I know, that's your mom. That's my mom, too. You know how many people use Vicks VapoRub, and they have no idea how it works? And I'm not going to equate prayer to Vicks VapoRub, but some of us do it just because our grandmother said that if we put salt on it, it'll fix the wound, right? But something inside of you, like you're just kind of shooting, yeah, I know it doesn't work, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's how we treat prayer. We say, you know what? My grandmother used to pray. She said, she said if I prayed, it would fix it. Guess what? Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. Keep going. Because if you do not believe in the God who answers prayers, the prayer won't work. It will not work. Jesus starts his prayer. And that's where we're going to sit today. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father. 
You listen as Janelle started praying. She said, Daddy, yeah, you can say the way you want to say it, but the point is that her heart is being postured to talk to her father. And Jesus' heart was postured in the very same way. I think much of our struggle to pray fervently and with urgency is because we don't first know to be in reverence of who we are speaking to. To pray is to walk into the presence of God, but many don't know what the presence of God is like. The prophet Isaiah tells us his experience in the presence of God, and can we experience it with him? I'm going to read to you the account of Isaiah being brought into the throne of God, the throne room of God. And as I read, I just want you to use your imagination and imagine this. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then... One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. In verse 1, Isaiah gives us a marker for time. The vision is happening right at the end of a very, a very important era for Israel. Uzziah was a good and wise king, but he has died. Not only has he died, but he died tragically after living a life of great wisdom and trust in God. Though he had influence, he died with leprosy and in disgrace. He died alone after being the king of over a kingdom. So Isaiah is writing in a time of mourning, but then Isaiah starts describing what he sees in Isaiah chapter 6. So I want to break this down with you because I want you to get a sensation of what Isaiah saw and felt when he's taken up into this vision. So we don't know how Isaiah gets to see this vision, but we do know what Exodus chapter 33 verse 20 says. When God tells Moses, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So we don't know, so we know that he didn't literally get to see God because he would have died. But what God showed him is incredible. He saw God first sitting on his throne, which tells us what? Who sits on thrones? Kings. He is the king of kings. So when you posture yourself for prayer, know that you're not approaching just one of your friends in the street. It is the king of kings. He saw him high and lifted up, which shows that God is being exalted and raised up. He saw the train of his robe, which wasn't just a train hanging off of him. It says that it filled the temple. He is surrounded by seraphim. 
and seraphim are high-ranking angels with humanoid bodies potentially, but with six wings. Wings to fly, two wings to cover their eyes, and two wings to cover their feet. The covering of the eyes was possible because they cannot see God. God in all of his splendor cannot be seen. So what do they have? They have smaller wings to cover their eyes. So we have an image here. The other image, okay, so what I said before was this might not be how it looks, right? No one knows how it looks except for the description we have. We don't know that they have body armor, but this was the image that I saw that showed, a, that showed an angelic being with the wings appropriately to how Isaiah was describing them. Six wings. Let me stop here for a second. Right off the bat, He's talking about seraphim, angels. If you ever saw something like this standing in front of you, what are you going to feel? I remind you that when we talk about scripture, this is not like the books that you used to read when you were going to bed, when you were little, or that you read to your children now. This is real. What Isaiah sees is real. How do I know it's real? Let me kind of jump a little bit. We know that it's real because... In the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 8, check out what John writes more than 800 years later. He writes, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. Are you getting a better picture now of the seraphim? Six wings, and they have eyes all over. Anybody else in this room that would be scared if they saw something like this standing in front of them? Okay. And day and night, they never cease to say. Remember, we read this already in Matthew 6. I'm sorry, in Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. This is an exhortation that I had for the church this morning. Have you noticed how hard it is for us to come into the house sometimes and for 20 minutes lift up a voice and worship? Today, I got to play drums and honor our Lord from the drums, and I watch, friends, as we struggle for 20 minutes to lift up our hands in praise. You do not come to this house to receive. Please remember that. You come to this house to offer sacrifice. Okay? I know it's uncomfortable. We'll be okay. The reason why we are even allowed into the presence of God everywhere we go, because it's not just in this building, is because we have been atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And how dare we walk into a fellowship where people are worshiping God and we struggle to lift up our hands in praise. What Isaiah sees changes his heart because he says, this is who I work for. Remember, he is a prophet. He is the mouthpiece of God for his people. But many of us, we call ourselves Christians, but we have never experienced this type of splendor in God's presence. We haven't been convinced that he is the king that he says that he is. But what happens and what changes in our prayer and in our praise when we realize who we are praying to? Isaiah got to see the God that we say we pray to today. We think that because they existed thousands of years ago, their experience was different. There's one God. And there's only been one God. Other people try to create other gods because they need to see something. They need to feel something tangible. But there has only been 
one God. And imagine, look at what happens here. That thousands and millions of angels are in heaven surrounding the throne of God. And what are they saying day after day after day? It says, without ceasing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And for 20 minutes, you struggle to sing. Do you understand what incessant means? What without ceasing means? That for generations and for all of eternity and still right now and before we were even thought of, before the world was created, there were angels in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I'm calling you into what is reverence and exaltation. When you think about prayer, and even like me, man, like you start prayer, and you're just like, man, I kind of just want to knock out a little bit. And then you wake up really quick, and you're like, amen, amen, amen. <sighs> okay, good, it went. Like, right, you write that text, but you don't press send. I'm just going to wake up and press send, make sure it went. God is much bigger than your amen. And I also know that we have freedom in Christ, which is to say he is a God of mercy, full of mercy and full of grace, who hears the calls of his children. But we still have a responsibility for reverence and exaltation. Lord, you are the creator of the universe and you dare to listen to my prayers. You dare to listen to my call. This should trouble your heart. But many of us have no idea who God is. Isaiah gets to see this. Jesus, God on his throne, surrounded by angels. The angels calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That reference that we connect to the Apostle John shows us the precision and infallibility of Scripture because of a gap of 800 years. Do you know what 800 years is? And we didn't have Twitter, we didn't have Facebook, we didn't have libraries the way we do today for them to just go back and repeat. No, we're talking about God speaking the very same thing to two different men in two different generations. Why? Because it's true. Because this is what we're going to see when we get to the throne of grace. But make note of what is happening in heaven. Again, all day and all night, incessant worship and ministry to God from the angels. So what I want to draw from you today is learn that this place and houses of worship and wherever you dare to pray is not a place for you to receive from God. It is a place and an altar for you to surrender sacrifice. Young people, if you learn that today, your worship will transform your life. That you can come into the presence of God anywhere because of Jesus' sacrifice. And that your job is to incessantly worship and minister to God. Just as the angels do night and day. Isaiah wrote that as God spoke, the foundation shook. In Revelation chapter 6 and 14, Apostle John says that the voice of God was both like thunder and the roar of many waters. Has anyone ever gone to see a waterfall? When you stand at the base of that waterfall, what do you hear? There is a shaking of the ground. Do you understand who you are praying to? 
that both of these men of God would say that when God spoke, the foundation shakes. But a lot of us, when we hear God speak into our lives, it's easier to pretend it wasn't him and disobey and turn away. Do you understand that the God that you have chosen to disobey is the same God that can shake the earth when he speaks? Reverence and exaltation. Know who you're talking to when you're praying. In verse 5, Isaiah says, woe is me. Woe is a term used many times, even by Jesus, to express severe calamity, severe distress, or affliction. Some of you in this room have felt this before, because I've heard you say it to me. In the presence of God, you feel that woe is me. And it's not the same as saying woe, like woe. No, it's not the same. An expression to express being startled. Woe. No. The magnificence of God's presence forces Isaiah to inevitably realize his own filthiness before God. He is crushed not only by God's presence, but by his presence before the holy God. And in verse 5, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And we are, each of us, listen to me please, we are unworthy to stand before God. Everyone in this room is unworthy to stand before God. No matter how good we think we are or we've been our whole lives or how many good things we have done, each and every one of us is unworthy of standing before God. We should all see ourselves the way Isaiah sees himself before God. And we should say, woe are we that we are lost. We too have unclean lips and we too are surrounded by people with unclean lips. And many of us perhaps haven't been able to see the fullness, listen please, the fullness of our own wretchedness because of spiritual eyes that have still not seen the king, the Lord of hosts. We're blinded by the sins of this world that help us to convince ourselves and say, hey, like I'm not so bad. How many times have we said, hey, Lord, Lord I, I mean, I'm not, I know I'm not Jesus, but I'm not so bad, right? Well, guess what? Just like Isaiah said, woe is me that I am lost in a man with unclean lips. This is how we present ourselves to the Lord. That you would recognize that you were talking to someone who is actually good and that you were not. There's a brokenness in spirit that Isaiah has as he approaches the throne of grace. How is it that when we pray, we don't feel that trembling fear before God? A desire to pray is a desire to be in the very presence of this same God that Isaiah sees. The same God that John sees. So as we approach God in prayer, like Jesus, the first thing we must do is present ourselves with a humbleness of spirit that can say, Lord, I am unclean in my lips. Know who you're talking to. 
reverence and exaltation should not only be in your physical postures, but also in your heart. Regardless of how your body is postured, meaning you can be kneeled, you can be laying, you can be prostrate with your face on the ground. Maybe you can't do any of that. But the point is that your heart is kneeled before God. Always. That you can pray while you're going for a jog, but in your heart is a posture of kneeling before a God who speaks and the earth shakes. Take note from the angels. Revelation chapter 5 verse 11 tells us that there are thousands and millions of angels surrounding the throne of God. And day and night, they sing one song. As we left the 9 o'clock sermon, somebody asked me, like, are they like variations of the same song? And all I told her was like, well, let's hope God is so good that there are like different flavors, but it is the same song. It is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is, and is to come. That is the song, my friends. And one day, if God is so gracious to allow us into his presence, we will join with the angels in singing the very same song. And just in case you forgot it, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. We have the privilege to be able to pray to God. But remember, as we come to God in prayer, we must first acknowledge him on his throne with reverence and the brokenness in spirit that Isaiah has as he prays. And in that brokenness and reverence that Isaiah has, I love also how Isaiah finishes these first seven verses. It says that he saw this in verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Listen, please. Your guilt is taken away. And and your sin atoned for. Some of you are sitting in this room and you cannot get past the fact that you don't deserve what God has to give you. This is for you. Isaiah is standing and he is saying what you have said many times. Woe is me. I don't deserve what God has to give me. And God in his graciousness and mercy sends an answer. And imagine one of these winged beings coming to you with wings wide open saying, you are special to God. And because you're special to God, it's why with these burning coals, we will clean your lips. He says again, your guilt, for those of you who carry guilt before God, your guilt is taken away. Who are you to doubt that? When you sit in your shame and your guilt, don't give yourself more importance than the creator of the universe. He has said what? Your guilt is taken away away do you sin yes have you sinned absolutely many of you have done terrible things and this still applies to you if you have dared to open your mouth and say i believe in the lord as my king and my savior then your lips have also been touched with this burning coal your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for what does that mean That means that you racked up a tremendous debt of sin. And what is the wage of that debt? Death. 
someone had to die for everything we've done wrong. Guess what? Someone did. That's all we need. For us to have life and for an angel to fly to each of us and say, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. It's already been paid, my friends. Do not sit in your misery and don't you ever dare come to God and pray without reverence. Don't you ever treat God like an ATM for your blessings. Don't you waste your time. When God says, when Jesus says, pray and you shall receive. This is for his children. And these are his children. Those who, like Isaiah, have understood, I am a man of unclean lips, O Lord, but you have made me whole. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. One Life Christian Church is located in Baldwin, New York. To find out more about the church, visit us at www.onelifeli.com.